In the United States, insurers seeking to constrain prescription drug spending frequently turn to utilization management strategies. One such strategy that's received renewed attention is step therapy. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Rachel Sachs, a professor of law at Washington University in St. Louis. Professor Sachs has co-authored a perspective article about the debate over appropriate uses of step therapy. Professor Sachs, could you start by explaining how step therapy works? What implications do step therapy requirements have for patients and for physicians? So step therapy is one of several utilization management strategies that insurers can use to try to manage their spending for particularly high-cost drugs. And with step therapy, patients and their physicians who want to use particular therapies, they have to document usually unsuccessful attempts at treating the condition with preferred drugs in earlier steps of their treatment protocol. And many insurance plans do use step therapy in their drug formularies. This can impose administrative burdens on patients, on providers, and ultimately may delay access to effective therapies for some of these patients. How often do insurance plans, let's say employer plans specifically, incorporate step therapy requirements into their formularies? And what types of drugs are typically covered by those requirements? So one recent study looking at large commercial health plans found that plans applied step therapy in approximately 40% of drug coverage policies with some plans using it more frequently and some less frequently. And one thing we were interested in as part of this work with Dr. Kyle and myself was to think about whether the situations in which step therapy is used, such as in the case of statins as compared to the new PCSK9 inhibitors, whether those types of uses are consistent with clinical guidelines, whether they do center the roles of cost and effectiveness in these prescription drugs, or whether they're really based around utilization control rather than what might be best for the patient. So in that regard, what do we know about the effects of step therapy requirements on costs, on quality of care, and on patient outcomes? We do have evidence to suggest that step therapy protocols do reduce insurer spending on therapies, which are targets of step therapy protocols. We don't have as good information about what implications there may be for total costs of care. So for instance, a patient who can't access a particular therapy may end up having more concerning complications later on leading to similar or even higher costs of care. That would be one potential thing you might be concerned about. We also have limited evidence regarding the contribution of step therapy protocols to quality of care. So to the extent that only a portion of step therapy protocols align with clinical guidelines, we might be worried that insurers are going beyond those guidelines and imposing step therapy protocols, which are not in line with appropriate quality measures. You write in your perspective article that many states have passed laws requiring insurers to include various exceptions in their step therapy protocols. What do those laws entail and have they been enough? First, it's important to note that these laws only cover a very small portion of patients in any particular state. And this is because of federal preemption under something called ERISA. 
So states really have a hard time regulating self-insured employer plans, which is most employer plans. And so only some patients really benefit from these exceptions that are required to be included in step therapy protocols. And so sometimes these exceptions will say, for instance, that a patient cannot be required to undergo step therapy if they've already had an unsuccessful attempt at treating with a particular drug or if the required drug is contraindicated. Some of these laws are more procedural in nature where they just tell insurers about how they must allow patients and their providers to appeal a particular adverse decisions. So these laws really have a wide range of different types of protections, but because they only apply to a small number of patients, there's been increased interest at the federal level in thinking about reforms to step therapy. So in that regard, lawmakers reintroduced the Safe Step Act in Congress in 2021 to respond to these problems. What would that law do if it were passed? So the Safe Step Act includes an exception to this federal law, which would allow these particular exemptions that the Safe Step Act sets out. And it has five specific circumstances under which insurers would be required to grant an exception to step therapy protocols. And in our piece, Dr. Kyle and I go through each of these exceptions, and we talk about the opportunities that these benefits would allow in terms of protecting patients from unnecessary delays in receiving effective treatment, but also some of the challenges. So the law doesn't really define things like what counts as ineffective treatment, who has to document that treatment, who gets to decide when a form of treatment has been ineffective. And so one concern that we have is that just as current step therapy protocols do impose significant administrative burdens on patients, that some of the Safe Step Act protocol exceptions may also impose administrative burdens as well. Finally, are there ways of regulating step therapy to ensure that it can constrain costs without harming patients or adding administrative complexity? Do you think that step therapy policies have any role to play in drug pricing reform? One of the motivating factors behind this piece is that there's two opposing themes within the step therapy debate. One is that we have failed to deal with drug prices at a systematic level. And as a result, we've essentially outsourced the problem to the point of care, to insurers, to physicians, and to patients. But at the same time, we also do need to safeguard patients from administrative burdens on their care that don't have a real purpose to them. And step therapy, as it's currently practiced and as the Safe Step Act and other proposals suggest, really explain the way in which these two opposing themes come out during our policy debates. Thank you, Professor Sachs. 